Welcome to the Lent Report Live. On today's broadcast, Dun Humvee's list of the top grocers. Independent retailers look into their crystal balls. And there's some interesting points there. What started in the food courts at malls now expands to restaurants. On Food Not Phones, Siggy's Yogurt's Challenge. And on the bullseye, the marketing of foods in the age of Ozempic. Let's get started. So, Sally, when I look at Dunhumby's list, um, you know, and, I'm, and I'm curious about this, and I like the list and I agree, uh, they named HEB as the top U.S. grocery retailer, um, and they've got, this is the eighth year that they've done it, the Retailer Preference Index, um, and what they do is they look at five categories, price, promotions, and rewards, quality, digital, operations, and then speed and convenience as one category. They look at the top 65 largest retailers that sell food, and HEB was number one. Amazon was number two, which was very surprising to me. Costco, number three. And then Market Basket, Sam's Club, Wegmans, Aldi, ShopRite, Walmart, Neighborhood Market, and then Walmart itself. Um, so what, what I'm curious about, and you know, we see these things from Consumer Reports every year and USA Today and everybody else does all these lists. Um, how, how retailers can really learn from these findings, I think is so important. Um, and what I, what I object to and I love Don Humpy. I, I think they're a brilliant company. But what I object to is the fact that they're really not giving other retailers the tools that they need to get into the top 10. You know, like, hey, be nicer to your customers, have better, <laughs> whatever. Um, so, so what do you think of, of you know, this, this top 10? And, you know, you've spent time in Texas. You've been to HEBs. I know you're a Kroger shopper. Kroger, by the way, has not done really well in this survey uh, for a number of years. Uh, but, you know, what do you think? Yes. Um, like you, I was surprised to see Amazon as number two, but I was not surprised to see HEB on the top of the list. You know, they receive a lot of accolades for the way that they operate their business. We love HEB. My husband is from Waco, Texas, and we always go to the HEB when we're in Waco. Um, you know, people really like HEB um, for one reason, because of the employees, the employees, yep. many of which have worked there for over 30 years. They seem to do really great at making their employees happy and excited about their job. And they must offer some great benefits so that they can keep um, really good, dedicated employees. And I think that that's something that's coming up a lot um, right now with self-checkout being an issue for some people with people moving away, some people moving away from delivery and wanting that human experience. They want to be able to connect with the people in stores. Um, I also think one of the reasons that HEB is doing so well is one for value, but also they have a lot of unique offerings and food products. You know, one of the things we love about going to HEB is that they make their own tortillas in the store. And it is a very exciting thing to go to a 
big retailer like that and find homemade tortillas. And also what I, what I love, and I'm so happy that you brought up the tortilla thing. What I love about it is it's not where it's in the back room. It's, you know, um, the HEBs that I've been in, it's usually near the deli, right in front. So it's like in the middle of it. You can't miss it. You know, there, there's somebody there, you know, just doing it. I agree. I, I applaud HEB. Um, the, other, the other thing, and I think that these surveys get too complicated. Um, so Market Basket, Winco, and Aldi took the top three spots um, as it relates to price promotions and rewards. And Wegmans maintains its top position in the quality category, and it's held every year um, of the index since its inception. So I think we just need to make it simpler, but we applaud HEB. Um, I'm totally in, in tune with you on that. Now, Whole Foods Magazine, which has nothing to do with Whole Foods, the supermarket chain, um, did a column, which I think is interesting where they surveyed independent retailers about what's going on now and the future. Um, what I don't like about the article is, first of all, they don't name the retailers. So they say, oh, Southeast retailer. And the Southeast retailer says, what's most concerning is not being fully staffed. Um, we benefited from social media influencers pushing items they find in their store. In reading through all these reports of all these retailers and there's got to be 10 12 different retailer comments in most of them are small stores um most of them have a health food bent um so they're talking a lot about vitamins they're talking a lot about supplements things like that but the standout for me is that number one they are having a labor shortage no question about it Number two is that what they're finding, again, independent retailers, smaller stores, that a lot of the major brands are not satisfying their needs. They can't get product, um, if you would. Um, there's a couple of them that talked about uh, employees, and there's one that makes me laugh. Uh, this is a Southern retailer, wherever that might be. Labor is always our number one challenge. There's always attrition. Okay, we know that. We had some toxic people that created what enormous stress. Um, they had shut down the store during COVID for a month. Hiring to replace the crew took a while, but we have good, nice people now, and good people attract more nice people. To your point about HEB, you know, let's focus on the employees. Let's I'll forget about AI. I mean, some of these retailers are talking about AI. It comes down to the people. And, you know, Whole Foods Magazine, again, um, I think your concept here was a good one. But name the retailers. Give us more specifics on, on what people can really learn from these from the retailers i agree i would love to know who some of these retailers are i would love to visit their stores and see what's going on what's working what's not working but but yes the main theme i i heard over and over throughout reading about these different small retailers in different regions of the country was 
We heard about staffing and late, you know, not being able to get people that want to work, that are excited about working. And we heard about um, focusing on being more efficient. And we also heard about social media influence. And something interesting that I took away from that was, was the idea that they're talking about using those, those social media influencers, but that it doesn't always mean that we're posting a bunch of pictures of food. We're actually doing better posting pictures of human beings. Okay, yep. so here we are. The 2024 theme is human connection. And we've been talking about yep. this a lot. And I love last week, Phil, the interview that you did with Lisa Miller. Lisa Miller talked about investing in your employees and how important that is right now. And I couldn't agree more that we want people to go into our stores and have that great human experience right now. Um, you know, we are we're we're not long past being shut down from the pandemic, but we're out that we're getting out there and we're getting we're, we're more into um, meeting up with people and connecting and and having conversations. And so it is it's it is interesting to see that these small retailers are talking about the same thing about having employees that are excited to work there and, you know, really investing in that. I, I agree with you. Um, so, you know, check out the story in Whole Foods magazine. Again, it's not related to Whole Foods, the supermarket chain. And again, you know, recommendation of Whole Foods magazine, tell us who these retailers are. And I can't believe that when I read some of these comments, that it's because they want confidentiality because, because they're not, um, let's move on. Um, <laughs> in Seattle. There's an article in Seattle Times that Bethany Clement wrote. She's the Seattle Times food writer um, that talks about the, how some of the new restaurants in Seattle, the upscale, quality, chef-driven restaurants are, you know, going to counter service, where basically what you do is you go up to the counter, you order at the counter, they might give you a number and then they bring you your food. Uh, remind me of when food courts first started in shopping malls. Um, and she really talks about, you know, the cost savings that are there. But probably my takeaway, which I really didn't think about, uh, because I think about McDonald's or I think about Starbucks or I think, you know, in, in terms of counter service like that, that what these chefs are doing is they're really training their people at the counter to be able to explain about the food, to talk about the food, that this could be a new trend that really connects the, the people who go to the restaurant more with the kitchen than having to go through, you know, your waiter um, to, to communicate. Um, what, what do you think of this idea? And do you think that it has legs and it's going to expand? I have mixed feelings about this, Phil. You know, it's it the the idea behind it that you know some of these restaurants ended up going this way because during the shutdown they had to just learn how to make great takeout food. What yep. can they make that will um, travel well from restaurant to home and will be great? Um, so I can see where, it, how they've ended up here. And, you know, as we've been talking so much about, about staffing issues, 
you know, I think these restaurants are seeing this as an opportunity. Hey, let's focus on making really great food, making our our food really. Um, that's what people are coming for. And, um, you know, we can we don't have to spend as much money on the staffing. Now, um, one of the issues I take with it and I'm I just got back from uh, Baja in Mexico. And this is very, very commonplace where I was. Almost every restaurant was order at the counter take a number to your table, even in very nice restaurants, and then you sit and wait. And I find it to be a little bit frustrating because I don't, I feel like I'm forgotten. Um, I feel like, oh no, they're not going to find me. I feel like it takes longer for me to get my food or to get a refill on my drink um, or, you know, another cocktail if I'm ready to have another cocktail. Um, I've got to go to the counter and order again rather than order from my server. Um, so, you know, this to me is a slippery slope, just like self-checkout is. You know, peace. those people that don't want to do self-checkout, they want a person at the grocery store helping them through the process of checking out their groceries, bagging them, you know, all of that. Um, they may feel the same way about uh, going to a restaurant where they don't have somebody actually taking care of them. I think you bring up some really good points. And also in this article, she talks about the fact that um, I think it's an average uh, of a nice restaurant, not a really upscale restaurant in Seattle uh -huh. um, for two people. Now, dinner for two and wine cost you 150 bucks. So for $150, yeah, I want a waiter. I want somebody to, to <laughs> and, and I love your example of self-checkout. It's, it's the same issue. Um, and, and I think that while it is a cost saving, certainly for a lot of restaurants to be able to do this, um, I am concerned that it drives more people away from wanting to go to a restaurant because it's just a real pain in the ass, um, to do it and to wait and, and, you know, I love your observation that you feel a little lonely just sitting there with your number and nobody's paying attention to you, you know, <laughs> because when we go to a restaurant, part of it is, you know, having a community, part of it's being seen, part of it's being, you know, part of this whole big thing in, in a restaurant. And if you're just sitting there with a little plastic number, um, it, it takes away, takes away. So good point. So um, food, not phones. I want to I want to talk about some statistics here. The average person spends five point four phones, five point four hours on their smartphone every single day. This comes from Eco ATM, um, and ninety six percent of Americans have at least one cell phone. Seventy one percent have admitted they sleep next to their phone. I don't sleep next to, do you sleep next to your phone, Sally? I do because I use it as my alarm. So oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I could get an alarm clock, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, that, that, that's a good point. I, um, yeah, I have trouble sleeping, so I don't need an alarm clock. I'm just up all the time. Um, also what they, what they cite is, um, experts like Nielsen, Smart Insights, Comscore and Pew Research Center that say that more than half of that time is spent on social media over the course of a lifetime. I found this fascinating. 
you'll spend a year and seven months on Facebook, more than a year and 10 months on YouTube. Snapchat takes up 14 months of your time, eight months on Instagram and 18 days on Twitter. Not sure why it's only 18 days of Twitter. Maybe that's since Elon Musk uh, took it over. Uh, the average American spends upward of 55 minutes a day texting and the remainder of the time checking email, browsing the internet, and using other apps. Um, the average user, how many times would you say that you picked up your phone every day to look at it? Oh, my goodness. Um, 20. Okay. So the average user picks up their phone 58 times a day. Yeah. 58 times a day. That's two and a half times every hour. And 82% of people in this survey believe that they use their cell phones less than the national average. So we, we really have a problem here. Um, but we've got a yogurt company who has always been cutting edge that's decided to cut. And there's my cell phone going off. <laughs> Talking to you right now. Talking <laughs> right now. Uh, but there's a yogurt company um, who's always been ahead of the game um, as it relates to yogurt, Icelandic yogurt, Siggy's. What is Siggy's doing? This is really cool. And, and, you know, Phil, we're particularly excited about it because, you know, in last September, hopefully people are starting to know about it. We started a grassroots campaign called Food Not Phones, um, trying to get more and more people on board this idea that we need less screen time. And once again, we need that human interaction. We need that community. We need that for our mental health right now and for our communities to thrive. So um, I love this. Um, they're comparing it to dry January, which has become very popular, where people give up alcohol for a month um, to see how they feel, what that does for them. And um, this is asking people to do a 30-day digital detox. Now, they're going to pick 10 winners, and they're going to give those winners $10,000. Um, you also have an opportunity to win a smartphone lockbox. So you can just lock that phone up <laughs> so you can't get to it. Um, a, a good old-fashioned flip phone, a one-month prepaid SIM card, and three months worth of Siggy's yogurt. So they've got some really great prizes. Um, that $10,000 would be amazing to win. And you only have to, you just have to put your phone down for a month. Um, so you can go to their website and I'll post in the, in the comments the link for the contest so you can look at all of the rules. But um, but yeah, this is a great way to um, to spread the message here about, you know, that we're spreading food, not phones. And let's just all start thinking about limiting our screen time a little bit more. Absolutely. And what I love about it, and I hope they publish this, part of uh, submitting uh, to for the contest is you have to write an essay on why you need a digital detox in your life and how it will impact you in a positive way. So I'm just hoping, and we're going to reach out to Siggy's to hopefully get some of those um, essays, and we'll publish them on Food Not Phones as well. Uh, so, you know, great, great idea, Siggy's. I wish more companies uh, would do it, uh, more food companies getting behind it, and 
to your point, let's just relate to each other versus just technology. Thanks, Ellie. On the bullseye today, Kim Severson, one of my favorite writers at the New York Times, has another notable column that's a must-read for all of us in the food world. In the Ozempic age, has Crabable lost its selling power? Since Ozempic has come on the scene, many, including us, have written and talked about the implications, both the good and the bad, of this new drug. Severson's column adds a new dimension, though. Craveable for food brands has long stood as a beacon for food developers to produce products with qualities that engender a desire, sometimes a very intense desire, for more all too often these properties are sugar, salt, and fat. And all too often, they can become addictive and found front and center in ultra-processed foods. Now, there's more to being craveable than just those three properties that seem to come under attack. Creating craveable foods is an art that involves a delicate balance of flavor, texture, aroma, and visual appeal, along with a nod to both the novelty and tradition, and a touch of emotional connection. Let's remember that food is not just sustenance. It's comfort, celebration, and it's tradition. Effective food brands should aim to create an emotional connection through their food offerings. The crux of craveability lies in the perfect balance of flavors. Sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and umami. Each of these taste profiles play a vital role. Texture is often a second thought to flavor, but it's a critical component of food that's craved. The contrast between crunchy and creamy, or the satisfying bite of a high-quality piece of dark chocolate, can elevate a food from good to crave-worthy. Then there's the aroma. We've all walked into a bakery and sensed the desire for a piece of that warm, delicious, smelling, crusty bread. Or walking through the produce department, where the aroma of fresh citrus puts us, frankly, in a better mood. Severson begins her column with the memorable advertising from Frito-Lay's award-winning and powerful TV ad, where actor Bert Lahr held up a single potato chip and challenged us by saying, Betcha can't eat just one. She goes on to cite other examples of craveable foods and how brands advertise them to lure consumers towards craving them. But the major focus of her column and what we need to pay attention to is posing the question to food marketers on how they will have to respond with new recipes as drugs like Ozempic and Wagovi change the way people consume our foods. Now, these new drugs eliminate food cravings. They create a major challenge for food brands. Our friend Marion Nessel told her that these drugs are an existential threat to the food industry and certainly an existential threat to the processed food industry. Other experts aren't as convinced as Nestle that these drugs are game-changing. I tend to agree with Marion and do believe that the food world is at a turning point, not just because of these drugs, but also because consumers are fed up with long lists of ingredients 
preservatives and artificial anythings in our foods. Yes, we're seeing more food brands investing in more celebrities and influencers than ever before on TV and, of course, on social media. And yes, during the pandemic, we saw all generations gravitate towards comfort and highly processed foods to make us feel good and better. But the pandemic is over, and we're finally seeing increased awareness and interest in the foods that we eat. As food inflation has reached new heights, our shoppers paid more attention. We don't have to or want to lose craveability. As an industry, we just must work a bit harder to make better-for-you foods, non-ultra-processed foods, and seeking ingredients that are more sustainable, and then create more natural foods that are just as craveable as Bert Lars' challenge. Thanks for joining us on Lemper Report Live, and we'll be back and see you here same time next week. Be sure to visit supermarketguru.com for the latest marketing analysis, issues, and trends. And don't forget to join us back here next Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern for more.